Hey, murder lovers. My name's Mackenzie. And this is Fatina. And you're listening to Stranger Danger, a true crime podcast. Welcome back. We're back. Yes. In the recording studio. Yep. And it's a hot Portland day. It is. The world is in chaos right now. Yes. It's amazing how much happens between our recording sessions. A lot. A lot happens. <laughs> a lot happens. When we last recorded, the George Floyd incident had just happened. It was like the day of or the, the day, day before. After. Something like that. But it was right around the time that the incident itself occurred. And I don't think um, any charges had been filed yet. And no. within a couple of days of us recording, that happened and the world blew to pieces. Yep. So. And here we are. And here we are. <laughs> a lot is happening. We're in Portland where protests are on. Well, last night was night 20 of protests. Yep. So every single night we've had protesters or a march happening. That they walk about a four-mile stretch. Things have calmed down. We're moving from rioting to protesting now. Yes. Thankfully. Um, So things have taken more of a peaceful downturn in that aspect, which I'm grateful for. Um, But, yeah, we're in the heart of it. Yeah, that and I think, uh, especially here in Portland and both having... Portland-based jobs, we we see the conversations are starting and going back and forth between people, so that's good. It's starting at least conversations and opening the door to have those conversations. Yep. So we didn't address it in our last episodes because it hadn't happened yet when we recorded because of the way that we record. It is not us not acknowledging it or wanting to pretend like it's not happening. It's very real and relevant to us because we're living in one of the cities where things are the most rambunctious right now, I'll say. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we're not disregarding what happened. It's just <laughs> things are happening much quicker than we're recording. Right. And things keep happening. I mean, even from when we last recorded to now, there's... Things have moved along, even in the George Floyd case, people have been charged, or at least the first step was arrested because they hadn't even been arrested, mm-hmm. now charged. Mm-hmm. And then, um, the unfortunately, other- there's other cases that have happened, or other situations that have happened. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot happening. There's a lot to keep up with, and it can be emotionally draining uh, for everyone. So if, if you have the opportunity, guys... Go and read on subjects. That's my my one thing on anything in life. Be informed about uh, the subject because if you if you are if you have the opportunity to have a conversation with someone, the message is going to come across clearer if you're well informed, and if you have more points and more facts to say than uh, maybe just catchphrases or slogans. So if you are going to walk into conversations. Please be informed on all sides. And if you're not, be open to listening and yes. learning. Um, and fact check. If you're hearing a conversation where things don't quite add up or you need to learn more about it, acknowledge that you don't know enough to have the conversation. Let whoever speak their piece. Um, but that doesn't mean that you don't then walk away from it and double check everything for yourself and form your own opinion from it. That is correct. And that's how... That's how everyone should learn. I mean, don't ever, don't always take something blindly either. Mm-hmm. You know, go go get yourself informed. That's the best way. Yep. All right. <laughs> With that being said, um, speaking of the Portland protests, um, when Ferguson happened in 2014, there was a really iconic image that came out of Portland, and it was of Devonte Hart. He was wearing a sign that said "Free Hugs," and he was young black preteen teen boy who was crying and hugging a police officer in right. Portland. So we all remember that photo. It really has become iconic. It is entirely iconic. Right. Um, but there's a huge story behind that photo. Yes. So the artist that does my eyebrows, for those of you who don't know, my eyebrows are microbladed. It's one of the best decisions I ever made. <laughs> um, and I found this lovely gem. Her name is Amaray. Um, she also goes by Eyebrows Baby on Instagram. It's the letter I, Brows Baby. 
shout out girlfriend. I just love her so much. She's such a treasure to me. She DM'd me and she was like, I don't know if you know about this story, but you need to address it. And I was like, you are right. I do. Um, And what better timing than where we're at right now? So we all remember this image of Devante Hart hugging the police officer. But like I said, there's a lot more behind this story and some things that have come to light since then, indicating that he was actually the victim of abuse, that this photo may have been staged by his abusive moms. And so we're going to dive into that a little bit today because Devante is no longer with us. So the kid that was in those pictures has since been um, pronounced as deceased And so we're going to go into the story of Devontae Hart and the Hart family murder-suicide. Great. Yeah. Yeah, I can't wait to hear it. I mean, the the picture, obviously, it made its rounds here in Portland, but I know it made its rounds nationally at the very least. And like you said, the free hug sign, I know it's a very Portland thing to do. Yep. Which is is great. But, uh, yeah, I'm interested to know... Well, and there was background on that. There was even controversy about that that sign itself. That really? the free hug sign brought and the picture that became so iconic brought attention to something that the protests were not about. So oh. it was about this this moment of I don't want to say like love or whatever, but it was, you know, love and, and a loving interaction between a person of color a child of color, and a police officer. And him wearing the free hug sign, they felt like really kind of diminished the message that they were Mm. really trying to convey with the Ferguson protests. That it wasn't necessarily about, you know, love everybody. It was about justice for everybody. And so they felt like, and I shouldn't say they, but there were some who felt like the messaging behind his sign deterred from the movement. And that this image became iconic of the Ferguson protests, but it wasn't really a true reflection of the Ferguson protests. Okay. Does that make sense? No, it does. Okay. So, Devante Hart was adopted by Jennifer and Sarah Hart. Jennifer Hart was from Huron... Heron? H-U-R-O-N. I don't know. Hey, I don't know. <laughs> how do you say Huron, South Dakota? Okay. I found this on the web for how do you say Huron, South Dakota. This is Huron, Huron, South Dakota. We'll go with that. And Sarah Gangler, um, that was her, for lack of a better term, a maiden name, because this was prior to gay marriage being legalized nationally. Mm -hmm. So she, uh, Sarah was from Big Stone City, South Dakota, and her family eventually relocated to Minnesota. But the two of them met at Northern State University. They were both majoring in elementary school education, Sarah had a focus in special education, probably a minor. Um, sure. That was kind of popular back during that time period. I know when my mom went to school for education back then, a special education was kind of the minor that you wanted. Now uh-huh. it's really more of a focus on um, things like ESL and that kind of stuff. Okay. Jennifer dropped out in 2002. Sarah graduated that same year. So as of 2002, neither one of them are in school anymore. But it doesn't really sound like either of them really ended up pursuing any type of career in education. They had begun secretly dating in college, and they came out during college prior to them both exiting school in 2002, but the news wasn't exactly taken in stride. I don't know what the culture is like in South Dakota, but again, this was prior to gay marriage being legalized. So it came with its stigma, and they said that they were pretty well ostracized after they came out. And they ended up moving to Alexandria, Minnesota in 2004. They later relocated to Westland, Oregon, which makes a lot of sense to me. If you know the Oregon culture and climate, that seems like a perfect fit. Right. It's in the metro area. so Yeah. Oregon is very, um, I want to say, progressive. And they eventually settled in Woodland, Washington. In 2004, they began fostering a 15-year-old girl. There are ideas that they became foster parents as a way to kind of pave their way into adoption. Oh, okay. Um, Because twofold is not only are they young, they're in their 20s, they're a lesbian couple, not married. Right. And trying to adopt. They have to kind of build a resume. It's, it's difficult anyway. Right. Like it's really difficult anyway for somebody in that situation. But yeah, so the 15-year-old, the indications that that was kind of, for lack of a better term, sure. building their resume yeah. to kind of get them into the system. 
The girl had been in foster care before due to chronic truancy, which I thought was a... What? <laughs> she That's kept, a thing? She kept skipping school, basically. Chronic truancy. <laughs> Same. <laughs> um, She's a ditcher. But she had... Her mom was really young. And the girl was later interviewed by the Seattle Times, and she said in that interview that she was very difficult to control as a child. So her mom being a young mom and situations like that, I think that they just felt like foster care was going to be a better situation from, for her. It wasn't like the mom was terminating her parental rights or anything like mm. that. So she couldn't necessarily be adopted. Sure. But it was somebody that was holding her accountable and giving her the things that she needed that her mom couldn't necessarily give her. So... She, like I said, she interviewed with the Seattle Times. She asked not to be identified. So for the sake of this, I'm not going to be referring to her by a name. Oh, okay. She doesn't have one that she's provided. Okay. But she lived with the couple from the summer of 2004 till the following spring. She described Sarah as quiet and Jen was the more outgoing one and said that they did a lot of activities together. They went camping together. They went to sporting events together. They went to festivals, concerts, that kind of stuff. Very out and about. Things that she hadn't really been able to do a lot growing up. A lot of new experiences. Exactly. And things were okay. They didn't see see eye to eye on a few different things. Which, the first example of this was really interesting to me. The girl identified as a, she was kind of a self-proclaimed tomboy. Okay. So one of the first incidents that she says that things made her uncomfortable is Sarah and Jen forced her to go to a department store to have a makeover. Forced her? Yeah. Oh. She wasn't on board with it. She didn't want to do it. Like she, like I said, she was a tomboy. Didn't wear makeup. Right. Had no interest in wearing makeup. She had a bad attitude about it the whole time. Of course. Sarah and Jen sat in this department store, according to the person who did it, and basically had their arms crossed the whole time. And it was just a very, like, tense situation. And I'm not exactly sure what the point is of forcing a child to wear makeup. And it's just interesting to me that two women that I'm sure very much felt like people were trying to get them to conform to their ideas of what they should be, whether it would be, like... Feminine or, feminine or or straight, straight women yeah. or something like that that they would then perpetuate that onto a child force that into some yeah that is super yeah. odd so that one just kind of struck me as weird because i was like you would think them of all people would be aware of what it feels like to be forced to be someone that you're not right and just understanding and nurture that instead of trying to fit her into a different box exactly that's weird so that incident came and went She said that her and Jen would often argue over petty things, but that they, she had never been hit, never had food withheld from her or anything like that, which is important for down the road. Okay. Another incident that happened was a Green Bay Packers game that they went to. They bought footballs in hopes that the running back, who at the time was Amon Green, would sign them. Jen was a huge fan of him. And when they were able to approach the team, to get autographs and things like that, they must have had some, like, special seats or something. Right. Um, the running back would only sign the teen's ball. Oh, instead of the mom's, too. Right, which makes sense. Like, yeah. that's what they do. They cater to the kids. Right. But Jen got pissed about it and said that she was only doing this because she was being a brat and what? that she had done it intentionally or whatever and refused to talk to the 15-year-old girl for days on end. What the hell? Yeah, and just kind so of threw a fit about it. Yeah. Of what of this of the basalt of the ball that was signed. <laughs> I had to get it out. Well, not only is she jealous of it, but it's like She's acting like a child. It's too. not her fault right. that he didn't want to sign your ball. Grow up. What is she supposed to do? Like, excuse yeah. me, Sarah, can you sign my mom's too? Yeah, like, my foster no. mom's ball. No. <sighs> anyway. <laughs> girl, bye. Yeah. She basically said that the, um, the girl had done it on purpose. Like, blamed her and said that. Whoa. Yeah, like, she had That's done it on stretch. purpose to upset Jen. Because she knew that this guy was her favorite running back or whatever. Okay. This is just very extra. Yeah. Other than that, she wasn't really allowed to leave the house except to go to work and school. She said that she was frustrated by this, but didn't necessarily find it odd 
that she was being so isolated because she felt like it was like uh because she, of her chronic truancy or whatever, that they were trying to keep track of her and keep her safe. And she said she ran with kind of an older crowd, so she wasn't too surprised by it, but also, like, really acknowledged that she was extremely isolated. Right. So she was kept under, well, quote-unquote control. Right, yeah. Yeah. But to a certain extent, they were being parents, the parental figures, and they were And that's where that's where it's hard to know, like, were they doing this? To or keep her in line, assholes. or were they controlling her? Yeah. yeah. I'm inclined to think the latter. Right. So, despite all this, the girl was planning on staying with them until she was 18 years old. And the couple had asked her if she'd like to stay with them. She said yes. So, there was an understanding between the parties that they were planning on doing all this until she was of, of legal age. Oh, okay. They, during this time, the couple had begun the process of applying for adoption. And they were planning on adopting other children of their own. They weren't going to adopt her because, like I said, she wasn't eligible for adoption. Her mom still technically had her rights or whatever. But they were adopting other children that were, like, younger. Young, young kids. Okay. Yeah. And the girl was very much a part of this process. She was excited about being a big sister. She said that Sarah and Jen often talked to her about being a good example for them, making sure that she was, you know, minding her P's and Q's and acting accordingly and all those things. Yeah, I'm sure it's a big process, and I'm sure, like, any big life event, you're going to talk about that a lot at home, and yeah. she probably was really excited. Right, and they, yeah. so they, they knew the kids that they were adopting. They had pictures of the kids they were adopting. Oh, at one okay. point, they went out to Texas, which is where the kids were originally from, oh. met them, took pictures. All three of them? She, they, she, the girl stayed home. Oh, okay. She stayed with family friends or something during this time, but... Okay. Sarah and Jen came back, showed her pictures of the kids, and it was very much like, these are going to be your siblings, basically. Right. And it was, you know, this was a conversation of something that they were all going to do that together. Was a fun, exciting thing. Yes. Okay. Sounds great, right? Right. Yeah. So a week before the kids were all <laughs> set to arrive, the couple dropped the girl off at a therapist appointment. The therapist sat her down and explained that the couple was not going to come back for her. Excuse me? They abandoned her at the therapist's office. What? Yeah. A week before the kids were supposed to get there. Excuse me? So they drop her off. The therapist comes in, says that they're not coming back. Explain that the couple was not a good fit for her. The hearts in particular were not a good fit for her. That it wasn't her fault, but just felt like things weren't working out. Was she still under 18 at this point? Yeah. this was. What she's still 15 fuck? at this point because she wasn't even with them a year. Oh, shit. Yep. Okay. Another couple came and picked her up from her appointment, her new mommy and daddy, and all of her belongings had already been moved into their house. You're joking. So they did all of this within, like, what is the therapy appointment is an hour, 90 minutes. Oh, my God. Like, this was planned and orchestrated. So by the time she got to this new place, all of her stuff had been moved. It was like the hearts never existed. She said they never said goodbye to her. They never had any contact after that. Gone. Just poof. Holy moly. Imagine just like, ugh, how devastating would that be? Yeah. Yeah. And to say it's not your fault. How? It's the not you, it's me conversation. But but to a kid. How do you how do you You how does a kid believe that that's not them? Of course. Right. Because They're going to think it's them. Especially when you're bringing in three other kids. Oh, my God. Poor girl. She naturally said that she felt abandoned. She was devastated. I mean, obviously took it really hard. Of course. And there was no closure to any of it. What a shitty thing to do. Yeah. The Hearts, meanwhile, moved on with their lives. So in 2005, Sarah petitioned to change her last name to Hart. And went to, the couple went to Connecticut in 2009 to be legally married, as same-sex marriage was not yet legal in all states, but Connecticut it was. So they okay. went there to have their ceremony, and the court approved Sarah changing her last name to Hart, so they matched. Okay. At that point, they adopted Abigail, Hannah, and Marcus. Um, they were placed with the Hearts on March 4th, 2006. The formal adoption was finalized in September of that same year. Those were the three kids in Texas that they had planned on picking up. Sure. Jennifer became a stay-at-home mom in 2006, and Sarah worked as a store manager. So, like I said, neither one of them 
pursued anything in education. Weird. I think Sarah was, like, working at a Kohl's or something like that. Oh, okay. Um, and in June of 2008, the couple also adopted Sierra, Devante, and Jeremiah. Okay. There, all three kids shared the same mom, all had different dads, but their mom struggled with substance abuse and suffered a severe addiction to crack cocaine, so oh. subsequently lost custody of the three kids. Okay. They're at three right now. They're at six. They're, oh, shit. Fuck. Okay. Yeah. So we had Abigail, Hannah, Marcus in 2006, and in 2008, Sierra, Devante, and Jeremiah. Okay. Six. Yes. So we're at six. All the kids are black. Okay. So whatever variation of nationality, but they're all children of color. And this Jen in particular said presented some issues as two lesbian moms who were raising six kids of color. And they're white women. White women. Right. Yes. Okay. All the kids were under the age of eight when they were adopted, most of them being around like the two or three year old range. Oh, that's so of babies. toddlers. So yeah, they're yeah. all really young. Sierra, Devante, and Jeremiah were originally, like I said, they all had different dads, but the same mom. And they were originally placed with an aunt under the condition that their biological mom not have any contact with the kids, but the aunt was caught allowing their mom to babysit them. Ouch. So she lost the temporary custody of them, petitioned for full custody, and lost because right. of her poor judgment. And so that's when... The hearts took over and filed for adoption, and they were granted adoption of the three kids. Okay. So it was three and three, mm -hmm. two separate adoption things. Okay. My understanding is that all six of these kids are from Texas, but okay. I know for sure at least three of them are, but I'm almost positive it's all six. And the reason I know this is because they said at this point, 50% of the hearts' income was coming from Texas as support for the children because they were granted a stipend oh, for each child that sure. they adopted. So 50% of their income was made up from that. From the kids. From the state of Texas. Texas. Yep. Okay. Exactly. So in 2008, which is the same year that the other three kids were adopted, Hannah's teacher noticed that she had bruises on her arm and asked about it. Hannah said that Jen had hit her with a belt, like whipped her arm with a belt. Okay. In 2010, Abigail said she had, quote unquote, owies on her back and oh. stomach. And this was because, reportedly, she'd found a penny. It had fallen out of her pocket. And Jen and Sarah didn't believe that she had found it. You're fucking kidding. Uh, and when I'm talking about a penny, I mean a... Like an actual Lincoln penny? A cent. Uh, one what? cent. And they said that she stole it. <laughs> so I'm like, bitches be crazy. Oh, my God. And... When they didn't believe her and felt like they needed to get the truth out of her, they resorted to some type of, like... Like corporal punishment? Like, like waterboarding or something. They held her head underwater. What? And Jen repeatedly hit her. I, trying to get her to confess to stealing a single cent. A penny. <laughs> Just like scratching your shoulder. Like, I'm like contemplating. I can't. Oh my god. Lord help me if these How women hadn't taken themselves point? out. Uh, yeah. How old is she at this point? They're elementary age. So they're kids. They're yeah, ba babies. I yeah. mean, for a penny. Mm-hmm. Because Abigail's still using words like owies. I know. She's so she's little. little. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Obviously, the cops weren't called. Authorities were brought in. Um, all the kids claimed at this point when they were interviewed that they were constantly spanked and had food withheld from them. Oh, wow. Sarah took the fall for all of this and pled guilty to assault. And what? Jen also said that it was Sarah that had oh. hit her. And I don't know if that was done intentionally for some reason. Like, did Jen have something prior or something like that? Maybe. But Sarah took the fall for it. Um, she was sentenced to one year of community service. <laughs> Wow. Speaking of, speaking of white privilege. You beat your kids and you get one year of community service and you get to keep those kids. Right. Come on now. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 there. It's there. It's call Jesus a spade a spade. Christ. So the kids were not removed from the house, like I said. And a year later, Hannah told a nurse that she hadn't eaten all day. Sarah was notified of this as 
a school nurse would do. Say, hey, your kid's saying that she's hungry and she hasn't eaten all day. What's she doing over there, yeah, mom? what the fuck are you doing? And Sarah reportedly said she's playing the food card. Just give her water. A fuck? Yeah. She's what? She's playing the food card. Just give her water. I know. I'm sorry. I'm... <laughs> You've left me speechless like three times already. At oh this point, God. the moms pulled their kids out of public school and began homeschooling them because they were no. raising too much attention. On them. Right. Yeah. But basically, they were like, listen, you you can't go telling people what's happening at home. So we're just going to... She's going to keep you home. You're just going to stay home. Yeah. Oh, fuck. They had been in Minnesota when all the abuse was happening. They pulled them out of school, and that's when they moved to Oregon. They're going to move to Woodland, Washington later. Got it. Sorry. Okay. Got to follow my own timeline. It's okay. Because I explained where they moved earlier, but then it sounded like they moved then. Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, for those of you who are following, (laughs) they moved from Minnesota after pulling the kids out. And homeschooling them. They move to Oregon. Minnesota goes, hey, Oregon, BT-dub, we think that they're abusing their kids. You might want to look into it. Or keep an eye on them and keep checking in on them. So Oregon authorities at this point begin their own investigation. But the family had moved to Oregon because reportedly they were big on transformational festivals, which sounds just like something we'd have in Oregon. I'm I'm sorry, a what? Doesn't that sound like an Oregon thing to what you? What the fuck is it? It's like yoga festivals and music festivals and dancing and transformational. Like I don't know, it's you're evolving into a lizard. Like what do you do? What do you? <laughs> They're getting in touch with their inner selves. Okay, all right. And eating their granola. You do you, <laughs> but <laughs> what? <laughs> Frolicking through the fields and bare feet. I don't know. We do that kind of thing out here. And you know what? I can make fun of Oregonians doing this because I've seen it and I'm part of it. (laughs) Not that I've participated in it, but this is my area, okay? I live here, so I can say it (laughs) because I know it's true. So at this point, this is when the family became really kind of like social media-ish. So they would drag their kids along to these festivals of transformation. And that's when they would begin posting pictures and stuff. Jen, in particular, seemed to be really into her Facebook posts. So she'd post a lot of pictures of the family, posting them here, there, everywhere. And all the kids would pose for the picture, and they'd all be smiling, kind of making it look like they were this picture-perfect family. Right, just painting a picture. Yeah. But in the meantime, while they were posting all of these really happy photos at these transformational festivals, the Oregon police were conducting their investigation in the background. Oh, shit. So they had begun conducting interviews, which included not just the family, but also friends of the family. And family friends said that the kids had to raise their hand before speaking, were not allowed to wish each other a happy birthday. Excuse me? Got yelled at if they laughed too loud. What? And no laughing was allowed at the dinner table. They're just... Who the fuck are these women? Fun suckers is what they are. Okay. And... Reports (laughs) also indicated that the kids were being poorly fed, that they appeared small for their age. They were scared of Jen, and things were not right. At one point, one of the examples they included was Jen had ordered pizza and would only allow each kid to have one small slice of pizza, which, I'm sorry, when I was a kid, two or three. right. Like... You don't put a cap on it. Just like anything with a kid. You don't put a cap on it because then you'll put... Anyway. Exactly. Well, Jen came back and found that the pizza was gone. So... Yeah, because you have six kids. Yeah. And, like, I'm I'm picturing one of those, like, little uh, Tostino's pizza or whatever that are, like, six inches. Right. And And each one getting a little tiny slice of it. Yeah. No, you're high. So... When Jen found the pizza was gone, she punished them by withholding breakfast the next day, and she made them lie in bed for five hours. Fuck off. So I'm like, come on. It's pizza. Spring the extra $9 to get another one. During Jen's interview, like I said, this is where she said that their family problems actually stemmed from others being intolerant. She said that there were a lot of issues with the community and the people that they encountered, um, neighbors and family friends having two lesbian moms raising six black children, two white lesbian moms raising six black children. 
So it was everybody else's issue, not them. It was everyone else's issue, and they were oh, all judging so them. They're, they just thought that people are, or they just they said were people out, are making it up, and people blah, blah, are out blah. to get us because we're two white lesbian moms, and we're raising these six children of color, and people are out to get us, and they're just making all this stuff up because they don't like that we're raising these kids. No, 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 go <laughs> no. The kids aren't making it up, and they're not... Right. The investigation was unable to conclude whether or not abuse was actually occurring. There was questionable parenting, but whether or not there was blatant abuse, apparently... It wasn't enough? I don't know. They said that they weren't able to conclude it. I... That's yeah. what I have to say about that, but apparently it takes a lot to get Now, did this fall on there. CPS to do an investigation? Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. So at this point, we're fast-forwarding to 2014, which isn't really a fast-forward because they moved to Oregon in 2013. But at this point, we're in 2014 now. Devante's 12 years old, and that's when he becomes the media sensation during the Portland protests with the free hug sign that we talked about at the beginning. And he's photographed hugging the police officer, and it's the protest. He's crying. It's a really touching moment. Everybody's, you know, torn at the heartstrings, and it's a thing. Except... That, like I said, the family was very active on social media during this time. They were posting photos really frequently. They were attending these protests. And there are indications that that photo was staged. Devante was forced to be there. He was forced to wear the sign. And he was forced to hug that police officer so that his mom could take a photo of it and share it online. And then... That is so sad. When people started to pick up on who he was and identify him by name... And more pictures started circling, circulating of him. All of a sudden, Jen really pumped the brakes. And she started posting on Facebook that he had turned down several TV offers and was asking people to stop sharing pictures of the kids, that they were fragile, and that she was trying to protect their identities because of how much they had been through in life. Which, to me, only says that she didn't want to get caught being the abusive little right thing that she was and that's the worst name calling i'm gonna do right now but basically people were gonna find out who this kid was they were gonna talk to this kid and all of her dirty little secrets were gonna come Uh out so she put the kebabs on it really fast right and that's why Devonde came and went as far as like his social media presence and we never really saw much of him after that so, I'm not saying be a show mom, but or a momager, but if your kid's presented with an opportunity, you know. Well, and if that was legitimately his desire to be part of that and have that photo taken and wear that sign right. and things like that, and let him speak and let him, you know, let him see it through. If that was what you thought that, and that's what he said that right. he wanted to be a part of, which only reaffirms the fact that he didn't. Right. And a lot of friends said that these were photos that were staged moments in general. Like, all of their festival photos, everything like that, said that everyone would pose for the photo and then everyone would go back to being lifeless after the photo was taken. That there was a real sense of unhappiness after that photo was taken and that everything was done just for that moment. And they knew to do that, I'm sure. Yep. So... The family relocated to Woodland, Washington in 2017. So after this picture. Yeah. So three years after this picture, they again packed up and moved to Washington. In August of that year, Hannah jumped out of her bedroom window in the middle of the night at like 1.30 in the morning and ran next door to the neighbor's house. Oh, shit. She bangs on the door. The neighbors answer, and she says that her moms are racist and abusive. and begs them not to make her go back to the house. Oh. She's had it. Yeah. Good. Well, and at this point, they're like teenagers. Right, and Hannah's one of the oldest ones, right? Hannah's not one of the oldest one, but at this point, she would have been in the... Hannah, 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 let me see. How old are you? Hannah would have been about 16 years old at this point. So Jennifer and Sarah eventually showed up to the neighbor's house looking for her. And Jen takes Hannah aside, and then everything is fine, and they leave. Oh, man. Jen later comes back to the neighbor's house and explains that Hannah was lying, that the kids acted out because they were drug babies. Excuse me? Because remember I said their yeah. mom was addicted to crack cocaine. So she turns around and use that, uses that 
as an excuse for how she's acting. What an asshole. And then says that their biological mom was also bipolar. So? That's so? So I was like, what does that have to do with Hannah? Right. So the neighbors were like, all right, that's cool and all, but there's still something wrong here. We're going to report this. She left her house, came here, not like, like that's a lot of steps to take. Mm-hmm. To ignore. Right. So they did report the incident. Oh, good. And Devante had also been making contacts with these same neighbors. And he was, like, coming over once or twice a week asking for food. And then was starting to come over multiple times a day because he wasn't being fed. Oh, poor kid. He asked, begged them not to tell Jen in particular because they're terrified of Jen. And told the neighbors that they were withholding food from him and that they were sometimes abusive. So at this point, the neighbors went directly to CPS instead of just fucking around with the police. Good. Yeah. Goes directly to CPS, and CPS attempts to contact the family on March 23rd of 2018. And again on March 26th of 2018. After the first contact attempt, nobody answers the door. And the family then gets in their car and flees their home heading towards California. In an SUV. Yeah. The day of the final contact attempt on March 26th, they come knocking again at the Woodland Washington house. But around this time, on this day, Jennifer is driving the SUV with the kids and accelerates as she approaches a cliff on Highway 1 in California near Westport and goes off the edge of a 100-foot cliff with Sarah in the passenger seat and all the kids in the back and descends to their death. I remember when this news broke. Yeah, I, you know, I completely forgot about it until Amore reached out to me and then it was like, oh, this is all coming, flying back to me now. So the Hart moms were both 38 years old at this point. They were found in the front seat of the car. Hannah was 16 and was identified through a DNA match. But that took a while, right? Sorry. What? That took a while. There was like a big gap from the time that they where they knew that the car was missing, the family was missing. They found the car that same day. But not all the bodies. Not all the bodies, right. So, and I'll tell you who they found. So, Hannah was 16, and like I said, had to be identified through a DNA match. Marcus was 19, Jeremiah was 14, and Abigail was 14. And they were found near the car. Sierra was pulled from the ocean a week later, and she was 12. Devante, who was 15 years old at this point, was never found. Right. A death certificate was signed for him on April 3rd of 2019, declaring him legally dead. Right. So it took over a week for them to recover all the bodies. Um, Some were immediately found and in the car. Others were near the car. Sierra was actually in the ocean and had to be pulled out of the ocean. So, and... It's likely that Devante got thrown into the Pacific Ocean and his body wasn't recovered from that. The incident was ruled a murder-suicide by a coroner's jury, which I didn't even know they did that. A coroner's jury? Yes. So interestingly enough, um, and I don't know if this is a California thing specifically or not, but when evidence is varying as far as, like, the nature of... The Whether cause it's of death. accident, suicide, murder, whatever it may be, uh-huh. they present the evidence and the facts to a jury, and the jury of the coroner decides what type of incident to rule it as. Interesting. So the coroner's jury is actually the ones who concluded that Jen and Sarah had planned this following the latest reports of abuse. Um, evidence showed that Jen had accelerated over the cliff, so actually right. hit the gas as she approached the cliff. It was a clear day, so there was no indication that there would have been a vision impairment or anything like that from fog Fog, or anything like that. Toxicology reports showed that Jen's alcohol limit was above the legal limit, and she reportedly, like, very rarely drank. So not only was it odd for her to be drinking, but drinking above the legal limit and then drinking and And driving driving. was almost unheard of for her. Sarah and two of the kids were found to have Benadryl in their system. Sarah had 42 times the regular dosage in her system. Holy shit. And Sarah's search history showed searches for Benadryl, 
no kill shelters, which I thought was weird unless she was looking at euthanasia or something like that. Hmm. And specifically if drowning was a painful way to die. Whoa. So based on all of this, like I said, the coroner's jury ruled that the incident was a murder-suicide being executed by the moms and that they planned it intentionally as a way to get rid of the kids and then also take themselves out at the same time. Jesus And that is the story of the Hart family murder-suicide. That is so fucking crazy. It's such a... It's... Like, you have this wonderful opportunity to nurture, love six kids, and you you do this? Right. It's, and, you know, um, <clears throat> my favorite murder covered this same story th- this last week, a week ago. When we post this, it'll be a week ago. Yeah. I'd already been sent the story at this point, was planning on doing it. I recognize that they were doing it yeah. after that fact. I still wanted to go ahead and talk about it and do this story despite them actually having already covered it because I do think that this is a really important one, especially in light of what's going on. Like, yes, you have this opportunity to adopt six kids. Like, these are choices that you make. These aren't Mm -hmm. even, like, this wasn't an accident or something. You put all this time and effort to take on these kids. You put time and effort into picking kids of color only to then mistreat them. Like, if you wanted different kids... At this point, you're picking and choosing. Pick different kids. Or if you don't want them, don't take them. But then to adopt these kids, blatantly mistreat them. You have those kids that are indicating that you're racist. So I can't even imagine what you're saying to them. Right. And they got away with it. They were getting away with it this whole time. They were. How many reports were coming out and they were just skating by. And that's why I asked what department was investigating. Because it sounds like whoever it was, was doing a subpar job. To some extent. Mm-hmm. And they well, weren't investigating or taking stuff seriously that was coming directly from the kids. I mean, right. take the kids seriously. Well, and it's almost impossible to, at this point in this day and age, really remove kids from a house. And I've seen this firsthand with my mom being in public education because she's an obligated reporter. Right. Is that what they call them? I believe so. I mean... Something like that. Right. Where she's required to report things. Right. And... There's been incidents of blatant abuse. Like, it was so obvious. She even had kids, like, tell her that they were being abused. And she would report it and nothing would happen. It's like the little baby in California. What's his name? Gabriel Fernandez. Yep. Yep. Kept showing up to school. Yeah. The teacher she was reporting doing it, it. And they did nothing. And they did absolutely nothing. And that was also child protection services. That right. There's obviously... Well, there's documentaries out there. If you haven't, I'd love to do that episode eventually. But the system down there, at least the the checks and balances are not there. Right. And they don't look into or they don't... Well, and I know what the Oregon one looks like. Yeah. It's crap. And the fact of the matter is, unless... And if you have a kid like Gabriel who looks the way he does and is so obviously being abused and he's not being removed from the home, then kids like this who are only showing up with occasional bumps and bruises and are only showing up with occasional starvation um, and not actually like, you know, emaciated or something like that, then people turn the other way because it's not bad enough. That's fucking awful. Yeah. Makes me really angry. (laughs) Well, and it it does pose an interesting idea of you know jen said at one point that she felt like they were being targeted because of their family dynamic and i wonder and this again is just me wondering yeah it does make me wonder if on the exact flip side of that were they getting away with it because of their family dynamic that they were like don't target the epitome of a blended family or something like that, where you have such an anomaly of not only two same-sex, you have a same-sex couple, you have six kids of color. Right. Where else are you going to find that? Right. Yeah. And were they, were people inclined to look the other way because they didn't want to seem like they were targeting that family because of their dynamics or something. Very possible. It's just just me meandering. Do with right. it what you will. I'm not saying that that's what's happening. Don't come for me. But <laughs> it's just, it's an interesting idea because she was so 
adamant that like these were being reported because of their family dynamic. And I'm wondering if they weren't being taken seriously because of that. Right. Or they, yeah, they just yeah. weren't looking into them or they, because they didn't want to harass them. Right. More than. They didn't want to seem like they were targeting them. A lesbian and, group of right. white women. Right. Right. Yeah. That's very true. So you're dealing with multiple instances of protected classes. You have kids of color, you have women, you have lesbian women. Like those are all right. areas of essentially like protected and adopted classes. So, kids. Yeah. I mean, that's a whole other system too. Right. Holy moly. A yeah. lot to digest. That's a lot to take in. Yeah. I mean, shitty, 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 shitty way to take out an entire family. Right. And you know, you know what makes sorry, sorry, you know what makes me think? I really, really hate to think this, but I really hope they weren't all put in a car and being told they were going somewhere down in California that's the happiest place on earth. Disneyland? Yeah. Yeah. They were not, were they? I don't know. Oh, okay. There's no way of Full knowing life. what they were told right. because they're all dead. Right. But I... Because they didn't tell anyone, like, we're going on a trip to California, no. da, da, da. I mean, that's completely out of the way. And then, and this happened in, like, Northern California. Yeah. Right? So they were well into... Yeah. Completely past Oregon, blah, blah, blah. They were well into a long drive. Yeah. Yeah, they probably... At that point, they left on the 23rd. They arrived to their destination on the 26th. So at that point, they've been, what, two, three days driving... Uh, yeah what a monster yeah it just there's so many things about it that make me wonder like would we know about this if he hadn't drawn so much social media attention for that photo and would this have even happened if he hadn't drawn so much social media attention from that photo Mm. and you know kind of put that family on the radar where they were kind of easily identifiable it's just a lot of questions that i have that likely won't be odd that she would make him pose or force him to take a picture like that just to make herself look better to you know other family friends or just, you is know, that is that that odd though how many times do we see people do that where you oh just, just like the girl who asked the guy to hold the drill putting oh up the, the boards in california for her instagram on like rodeo or the whatever fuck? and then gets an alexis bitch no no but yeah it's the exact same down. thing they're yeah. just doing it for how the cool kids say it for clout, right? Is that how they say it? That's your girl Cardi. Yeah. She says that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're just doing it to to keep appearances and to make it seem like they're just, oh, fuck, I can, I can go on. And, hey. It's frustrating. It's super it's frustrating. frustrating. That's exactly what it is. It's frustrating and it's. It's a difficult thing to talk about because there are so many moving parts of this story that I feel like we're inclined to tiptoe around because you don't want to say anything. Right. That Like, even me describing the kids where I'm like, they're all kids of color. I don't know that they're all African-American. They're of black descent. Like, stuff like that where you're like, oh, fuck, did I say something wrong? Yeah. Like, it's all stuff that makes us uncomfortable because we're all afraid that we're going to say the wrong thing and so we're more inclined yes. to not even talk about it rather than put our own foot in our mouth right and that's why i feel like these stories are important because even though they are they touchy can be uncomfortable right and i might fuck it up that doesn't mean that the story doesn't need to be told right that's why i ask that we all give each other a little grace yeah <laughs> we're not going to get it right the first time or the second no. We're all working towards it, but I do think that the conversations are important. Obviously, there's the race issue. Yeah. There's a mixed family, and maybe they got away with it more because of their status in the community, or they just, I don't know. Yeah. And, well, some people do think that, right? And that's the yeah. point of this, of us telling the story today. Right. That there is that the the racist issue. We don't tolerate racism. This is an awful, terrible fucking story. Right. If you're gonna adopt kids and you're a racist asshole, please don't do it. <laughs> and that's the, that again is the other thing is like there's so much unknown. Were they racist? Were they just incapable right. of being parents? Well, the kids said that they were being racist against them. Right, right. But we don't know what was actually said, so we can only right. assume without necessarily the evidence of it. Although I'm inclined to believe the kids, right. you know, that they knew what was happening to them. That's why there's so, there's, and you know, 
were they in a position of privilege or were they in a position of what's the opposite of privileged underprivileged that's the one uh (laughs) were they underprivileged because of the fact that they were a gay couple or was that actually the reason that they got away with it or did they get away with it because they were white or did they get away with it because they're women like there's so many things that we could assume or have a conversation about and it could be highly debated from all ends of it um but the fact of the matter is is that six kids are dead right and the signs were there, and people tried to intercept it, and they it were was ignored. too little too late. Yeah. Right. And, and not necessarily, well, no, some of them were ignored, or they just weren't followed through all the way, because the teachers would call them on, the nurses would call the moms. Right. And the moms would know exactly what to say to make them be like, right. put it on the kids instead of them. Right. So maybe at the end of the day, the reason doesn't matter quite as much as the fact that, like, do better. Right. Like, if you're getting a call that kids are being abused, do better, rather than start to analyze all the reasons why they did or didn't get away with it. Right. If you're a school nurse and you have that conversation with the mother, like, I'm sorry, check in with the kid every other day. Report it. Right. <sighs> Such See a something, system. say something, I guess. Yeah. And when you aren't heard the first time you say something, keep saying something. True. Because... You won't be heard the first time, I guarantee you. The system's too bogged down. So keep yelling about it. And that's why we're on day 21 of protest here in Portland. Yep. Keep saying it. Keep talking. All right. All right. Getting off my soapbox. <laughs> cool. All right, guys. Um, um, socials. <laughs> I was like, fuck, what's next? Um, we will post the iconic photo and everything else that you would need to find. And you can look at all these things by heading over to our Instagram, which is at a stranger danger podcast. You can email us ideas, stories, things that you would like to cover at a stranger danger podcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook using Stranger Danger colon a true crime podcast. And you can go a step further and join our Facebook group, which is Stranger Danger colon murder lovers. And you can find us on Twitter using the handle at SD true crime pod. Thank you so much, you guys. Okay. And stay safe. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye. Okay.